All right, y'all. Christmas is over for those who celebrate. We are now in that weird week in between the holiday and New Year's where nobody really knows what to do. Should we work? Shouldn't we work? Do we take off? Do we go somewhere for, for the next holiday to celebrate the upcoming year? What do we do? Am I supposed to be planning? Am I supposed to be uh, 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 vision boarding? Which I've never done, by the way. I've never done a vision board Maybe I should do a vision. Maybe maybe I should sit down and do the thing I've never done before. I always wonder that to myself. Do you wonder that to yourself sometimes? Where it's like you used to like maybe judge it a little. I just always I didn't really judge it. I just looked at it like that works for people. I am not people. <laughs> I don't know. I'll give you an update in the new year if I try that or not. Anyway. We're in that weird week, but I am now home from the holiday because we we went back to our family homes together. Um, we live we we grew up two roads apart, by the way. For those who, again, are new here and new to my story and my relationship with Phil, we met later in life on a dating app but we actually went to elementary school middle school and high school together and lived two roads away so it is very convenient for us to stay at one family's house and pop back and forth between the homes and see our families um our mothers both worked in the same hospital together i mean when you talk about like meant to be and things just really aligning and making sense i don't think this story uh I don't think I could find a better a better example than my story of my relationship and meeting Phil. Anyway, what I wanted to to get into today is now that I'm home and I'm kind of decompressing in my own environment, I I want to talk about input and output, which I've mentioned in past episodes before. But I want to talk about the importance of what happens, like recognizing what happens to you when you've output too much and understanding yourself enough to know how to input. And in addition to that, I want to talk about what happens when as a trauma survivor like myself, you are now in a place where you, you know, you feel good. I'll get into the story in a minute, but you're you're feeling good being able to go home and be around family. And because there's so much space and so much pain that you've actually moved through, you're able to be more present, be more at ease, which is then bringing up an entirely new layer of panic and unworthiness and all sorts of uncomfortable feelings for yourself, which I want to tell you what happened to me over the weekend, which, you know, sometimes I have to say, like, I, 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 I've said this always, I do this podcast because it's therapeutic for me to talk about things, but sometimes these things are personal and I, I do hesitate. I'm like, do I like, is it worth sharing this? Like, I don't, I don't know when it's a podcast, I don't get instant commentary, you know, and a lot of you 
cough, cough. Don't go and leave me reviews. Cough, cough, go leave me some. So I know how these episodes are landing for you and how they're helping you or how they're speaking to you. Don't DM it to me, please. I I mean, I love your DMs. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But leave them in the reviews on Apple because then they're in writing for everybody to see and myself to see. And so I can screenshot them there and whatever. Or you could screenshot your review and DM it to me. But anyway, just a little reminder. Don't hesitate to leave me one because it keeps me going. Otherwise, I sit here and I go, I don't. This is so personal and it's a lot of output, by the way. It's a lot of output. I don't think people talk about that enough. Like just in general, I'm not talking about myself right now. In general, people who are on social media, be them professionals like myself running a business, right? Or creators, like content creators, or influencers of any kind, posting for a community of people, an audience of people, right? A following to view it's a lot of output to create, come up with something that's going to relate to you guys, align with ourselves and extend out to you, be interesting, exciting, educational, whatever. And then, you know, if there's, if there's not a lot of feedback that we get back, then it's like when you go over to your friend's house all the time, You make the drive, you put in the effort, you schedule it, and they're just there. So they interact with you when you show up and they have conversations with you when you start them. And the effort is only reciprocated when you initiate, but the initiation and the effort and the energy coming back at you doesn't happen unless you take action first in their direction, right? And we hate that. We hate lopsided. I speak for everybody because lopsided relationships create resentment and anger and frustration and they feel very unfair and then those can lead into being rather abusive at times. So nobody really loves a lopsided relationship. What we love is a a give and take. Now that give and take looks different and what we feel comfortable with in each relationship looks different there, right? But at the end of the day, you don't feel like you're overgiving or overextending yourself to force somebody to give back or the only way they're going to give back is if you ask them to or beg them to or blah, 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 blah. And that can feel like this. I, I think you could ask any content creator or influencer or any business owner online at any time. It can feel like that at times because there's tons of you that we don't interact with daily and often we don't know who you are unless you reach out or you comment on something. And then we have the ability to engage with you back, right? And we're giving first by posting the content. You're responding to the content by commenting, and then we engage back. So that is a give and take. That is good input and output. So yeah, it can feel like that sometimes. Anyway, just giving you my two cents at like 7.30 in the morning on a Tuesday. Um, Why don't we get into the episode? I'm going to give you a little story about how my weekend went for the holiday and how I navigate because I was around a lot of people. And I'll tell you what, if you had met Amy, (laughs) 
even three, four years ago, pre-Phil, like before Phil, I my interactions with friends and family were very, very... Um, I don't know. We could say they're they're still very intentional. So that's not the best word to choose here. I I kept them to a minimum. I guess that's the best way to put it. I kept them to a minimum. So let's get into the episode right now. So let me begin with just like I am a planner. Okay. Now there's wiggle room. There's flexibility. I understand things happen, things change last minute, but I'm a planner. And part of me wanting to plan is it helps me prepare mentally to go into an environment or be around certain people. I, I, I need some space at times before going into those environments to just like prep myself and just get my mind clear. That's what I mean by prep, right? Like just sit down, maybe grab my journal real quick, get my thoughts out, just have an outlet. So I, I go in with a clear and present mind. That's really important to me because if I, I go in and I've got a lot of things weighing on me, I'm not present I look not present. I look like I'm out of it. I look like something's wrong. I act like I'm in my head. I can get easily triggered. So I've learned from me that it's helpful and supportive to my mind, my body, and everything to just try to plan in advance where I can and make space every single day. This is a good takeaway, especially for anyone who does have trauma and notices their nervous system can get easily activated. Um, That was me, always. And so every single day, and sometimes multiple times a day, I have my journal. Now, listen, journal is nothing new to all of you. You hear a lot of people talk about journaling. When I talk about journaling, for those who are new here, what I'm talking about is I have my journal sitting on my desk 24-7. I will also travel with it at times in my purse or my bag or whatever. And when I feel off about something, when I feel upset about something, when I feel sad about something, when I feel confused about something, when I get angry, I grab my journal first. That is what I do. I grab it first. I write the date, I write exactly how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. That's it. That's what I do. I have a conversation with myself in that journal. I write out exactly what I'm thinking and feeling with the the goal always of moving through it, getting out of me and moving through it. Ultimately, what I want when I am done journaling is to feel less heavy to feel clear-minded, to feel like whatever was on my mind, whatever was weighing on me, whatever I was feeling, I got it out on paper and released it. That is always the goal in my journaling. Because sometimes it's just thoughts that are recycling in my head that I want to say out loud to somebody, but I know it's not going to be productive to shout at my boyfriend or try to get in touch with B and talk it through and you know what I mean like a lot of these things don't necessarily need to be dug into they just need to be heard and I utilize my journal to feel heard right so that is what I do anyway when I plan and something suddenly changes I'm not gonna lie to you I get annoyed I do 
I am very flexible and understanding, but there's a certain formula <laughs> that, that needs to come together for it to equal Amy feels very understanding and empathetic, right? And so <laughs> I'm just going to break down the scenario for you as, as respectfully as I can. So Phil felt under the weather. We were supposed to head home to our family's houses on Friday, like towards the end of the day, like early evening, okay? So we had a whole plan for Friday. It was going to be our day to like sit together, open our gifts together, uh, watch some Christmas movies, wrap everybody else's presents, and then pack up and head to our families. And then we were splitting every day of the holiday. Like we were bouncing between both houses, again, literally two roads apart, bouncing between both houses, both days, okay? So like, Saturday, we were going to spend some time with my parents and then go back and spend the bulk of the evening with his family for Christmas Eve. And then Sunday morning on Christmas morning, we were going to spend the morning with his family. And then we were going to head over to my family's for Christmas day and like the remainder of the day in the evening. Okay. So it was going to be split evenly. Amy plan. Amy's the planner. Okay. Amy planned all of that. And I planned it, mind you, and and no offense, no offense to anyone else, but I feel like if you are a planner, a lot more goes into what meets the eye. This is not just like I had one phone call and one conversation with one person. Like, th- like that's a job in and of itself. Mind you, there are people that do this job, scheduling for big CEOs and other people, right? So when you're scheduling for your family or you and your partner or around multiple families with children... It takes time. We have to consider these things. So a lot of time and planning went into all of this. And obviously coordinating with Phil's schedule comes into play as well. And respecting like what is his family doing? He has he has two siblings and they have their own partners and, and some with children. So we're navigating all of them. And then obviously like my one sibling lives across the countries. So they're not going to be around for the holiday, but my other sibling is showing up with my nephew who you always hear me talk about and his wife. Right. So I got to coordinate around them and then like them and their interactions with other people. <sighs> I'm exhausted explaining that. So, so come Friday, we're going about our day and and Phil suddenly kind of gets hit and like just does not feel good. And I'm not I'm I'm not thinking anything's going to change. I'm just like, "Oh, you know, you know, you suddenly don't feel good. Just like lay down, right?" We're going through our day and somewhere in the midst of our day, he says, "Should we just like postpone going?" Now, that's not a clear statement for those wondering. That's not clear. Postpone going. What does that actually mean? And I go, what does that mean? <laughs> and he's like, I don't know. I mean, like, just like, I, I don't feel well. And we have to consider now you can hear when he's talking. These are all just thoughts and feelings. This is not a clear thought out. Like, like, he, he didn't clearly think out what he wanted and set a boundary or communicate with me. Hey, here's what I was thinking based off of what I was feeling. A lot of people do this. That's number one. I have to point this out to you. A lot of you do this. You think setting a boundary is communicating your feelings. It's not. If you take my boundary course, I give you a formula. 
Like you want to identify how you feel, but you also have to identify what you want. You have to be clear in communicating it. And I give you the steps to do that in the course, which by the way, is still on sale until the end of this month. So you have a couple more days this week to grab it at 50% off. Go to amyfiedler.com to do that. So he just gave me a jumble of his feelings and his thoughts, right? Should we just postpone it? Very unclear, vague statement. And I was like, what? What does that even mean? What are you even referring to? Because it came out of nowhere with like no context. And then he was like, I don't know, like, you know, we have to consider everybody else and I don't want to get anyone sick and blah, 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 blah. And all I'm here, all I'm getting is a wave of emotion. And I look at him and I go, okay, just back up. Let's pause for a second. (laughs) What is going on? And he's like, I just don't feel good. And I go, okay. (laughs) And you hear how like I am sorting through this jumble of emotion by having to now figure out what exactly is it you want, right? And so now my goal in this interaction is to figure out what do you want and where can I compromise and meet you in the middle? And so I'm like, okay, you're not feeling well. What is hurting? Blah, 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 blah. Do you want to not go tonight and sleep this off and then just head out tomorrow? Because going tonight isn't going to really mess up our back and forth between the houses. We were just going to go have some dinner with your family and go to bed. And he was like, I don't know. I don't even know if we should go tomorrow. Like we ought to consider this person and this person and like I can't be sick around this person. And I'm like, okay, what do you want to do? And this is what I always do when anyone comes at me, even a client, and it's just a wave of emotion and thought. Now, mind you, let's just backtrack because what I'm saying is what I do before I communicate, what I do when I'm feeling a wave of emotion is I grab my journal. I get all of that crazy jumbled mess out on paper with myself and then I land on a clear thought process and identified want so I can carry that into the conversations I have and plan and set boundaries and and obviously just be clear with the people I'm talking to, okay? So, so there's the difference, right? You can see what's lacking when somebody does that. Now, mind you, we're, none of us are perfect. Do I have waves that I just like spew out on people at times? Sure do. But I'm doing, I'm explaining and breaking this down for teaching purposes, obviously, and helping you identify what is the difference in what is going on here, right? And so I'm like, what do you want? And he is not clear. So he's like, I don't know. I don't know. And mind you, because he's not feeling well, there's already less input that he's got, okay, which I'll define in a second. There's less input. And so he's more reactive. That's what happens with our nervous systems. Like whether you you are traumatized or not, okay, our nervous systems become very vulnerable when we haven't met our basic needs. When you are under the weather, your body is already weak and vulnerable in that moment, as is your mind, right? And so what happens when we're all sick? It's kind of like, take it easy, rest, like we're reminded of these basic needs, sleep more, go take a bath, do you want something to eat, right? And we 
go back to those basic needs. So whenever I am feeling so much emotion that even if I sat down and journaled it out, I'm just like chaotic and reactive, the first place I go is in my mind to what have I not done for myself right now? And that's not a broad statement. It goes strictly to my basic needs first. Often, I'm not going to lie to you, I either haven't eaten, haven't gone to the bathroom, haven't showered, or I, I didn't get a good night's sleep. So what I was looking for with in this interaction with him is he needs to identify the want, right? So cut to he made a few phone calls to some family members because he wanted to check in with where they were at and how they felt if he was feeling a little under the weather. And everybody was like, dude, we all feel a little under the weather. Just show up. It's fine. And he felt more at ease because he knew he wasn't going to overstep anyone else's boundaries. And that's that was his process, right? I don't get mad in those moments. I can get very flustered and frustrated when I'm interacting with anyone who is unclear, as can you. We all can, because think about it this way, and mind you, I, this goes for anyone, including myself. When I, when I am unclear about how I'm feeling and I'm just reacting to how I'm feeling, I am. we could liken me or anyone in that situation to a child who is unable to communicate, right? They can't communicate yet. It's like my nephew. My nephew can't fully communicate. He says words. He can say things. He understands and comprehends things, but he can't always articulate what he wants. And so what happens is he just starts to get cranky, right? Ultra sensitive. He, it's like, no, don't touch me. No, blah, blah, blah. And, and then he has like a full-blown meltdown where he's like crying and screaming and just saying, mommy, and you don't know what he actually needs and wants. And so what does a mom or a dad do in that situation? They comfort and they soothe, and then they start identifying needs. Do we need to change your diaper? Are you hungry? They go down the list of what they know this child did or didn't do, try to meet the need. It's like those fucking plastic babies that they gave you in high school. I never had that class, but my sister had that class where they give you the baby doll with the keys. I don't know if you remember this, like way back in the day. And like... You took the baby home and you had the key and each key did something different. You shoved it in the, the kid's mouth or butt or whatever it was, wherever the keyhole was in this doll. And it was like, this one was for feeding. This one was for changing. And so you had to take care of this baby as if it was your kid. And <laughs> and I remember my sister and I shared a room. My sister would take this damn thing to bed. And she was like, she's a hard sleeper, right? So she's like knocked out. She would lose the keys in the middle of the night. This baby would start crying. I'm a light sleeper. My ass wakes up. And I'm like, Aaron, where are the keys? Your stupid thing is crying. And then she wakes up flailing, cranky. And she's like, I don't know where the keys are. And I go, how do we kill it? How do we kill it? Because she used to have a freaking Furby, too. And that thing would wake up in the middle of the night. And, like, I don't know if you ever had a Furby either. Like, it, every time it bats its eyes, you hear the mechanical noise of it, like, batting its eyes. And so you could make it go to sleep or, like, if you held it upside, if you held it upside down. But if you held it upside down too long, it actually died. Like, like it put it to sleep or turned it off completely. So... <laughs> That was the kind of sister I was. <laughs> anyway, back to my point. You want to find the basic need, right, in those moments. So anyway, 
so all of this happens and 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 so the plans get skewed because what what we land on is let's just not rush home on friday let's just like take it easy you get your extra sleep at home and mind you that's also impacting and this is important to address i don't think little nuances are are addressed in in conversations we have about relationships or trauma or things like that right the nuances of being like i we planned this day to look like this and as a trauma survivor when my when i plan something and it's going to meet a need for me which friday was like spending time together quality time before we had a whole weekend of time with other people we love spending quality time together having our little festive moment of like christmas movies exchanging gifts both which we half did we did okay but i didn't get the full thing and so i had to navigate my own triggers there of like feeling because here's what i've noticed about trauma and living with trauma and and life after trauma and being in a relationship that is healthy after so many years of abusive and and toxic unhealthy relationships i'm still i can depending on what it is but i'm still jumpy if i feel like my need is not going to get met and what happens is i go right to like feeling sad and getting angry when i get angry by the way i never look angry you can't tell i'm angry that's years of working through anger stuff as a child so now i've managed anger i can i can hold anger i can sit in anger but i get angry and then I immediately get sad. So it's like, you won't notice the anger, but you'll definitely notice the sadness because I could go straight to being very sensitive and even crying. And I've had to learn in this relationship I'm in that what that results in, if I let it, is a full-blown meltdown like a toddler. It will. I will look like that if I allow myself to. That's my response to feeling like a need is not getting met. And and mind you, that connects directly back to past relationships where needs were never met. I wasn't heard when I spoke up. I was dismissed, neglected, blah, 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 blah. And so I felt very helpless and I tend to freeze in those moments. And so now what I've had to do is A, become aware of it, right? Identify what, what, kind of activates that like what's the special sauce for Amy then interpreting a situation this way or feeling this way and then I gotta manage it and this is where a lot of ev- like a lot of everyone that's what I was gonna say a lot of everyone falls short because they don't know what to do well what you do is like <laughs> take responsibility for yourself this isn't a oh no I'm I am like short-circuiting because all the tools I have don't work and my nervous system's still getting activated, Amy. This is a lot of trauma survivors get stuck there. They're like, I don't understand, Amy. I've been in therapy. I've been doing all these things. My nervous system still, yes, yes, it will. It will and that's okay. Try practicing compassion towards your nervous system. What it has learned to identify as dangerous it has kind of grouped into black and white categories. So it doesn't distinguish between safe environments or not. It just says danger, danger, danger. 
and you react or respond to it. And so it's time. You can get relief talking about it. Mind you, you got to also do somatic coping tools. I am not a somatic practitioner. I have I have some great stuff coming in the new year where I can't wait to share it with you, but it, it will give you that piece of it, okay? But I can do the talking part with you, and that's only half of it. The other half is is body work and somatic techniques and therapy to help your nervous system and your body release the trauma. But even in doing both of those, as I speak for myself here, years, years deep into this work, your nervous system is sensitive. Please accept it about yourself. Does my window of tolerance, does my threshold grow, widen, strengthen, if you will? Yes. Yes, it has in time. But I have patience with myself. I have compassion for myself. I don't label myself as damaged. I don't look at myself as a problem. I look at myself as I've been through some stuff that makes me extra sensitive. And I I enjoy learning more about what makes those sensitivities get activated. Anyway, so for me, when I feel or fear a need is not going to get met or isn't getting met, right? And I have to adjust and be flexible. I feel all those ways, right? As I said, I can get uh, angry, I can freeze, and then I get sad. Sometimes I can panic a little. And what I have to do is manage it. And what managing it looks like other than, you know, grabbing a piece of paper, getting the thoughts out or, or, calling up someone that I trust and I can confide in to like talk it through and get some logic going in my head because I know that I easily go to a place of like black and white thinking and I easily start start saying to myself oh my god am I in a bad situation that's like the default for at least me having gone through toxic and abusive relationships. It's like all logic flies out the window. It doesn't matter how great my relationship is. In that very moment, that heightened, heated moment for me internally, often you won't see it outside of myself, but in me, that is where I mentally go. And so again, getting the thoughts out, talking it through, soothing myself like if I am in such a state physically that I need to like stop, not talk, and just shake my body and do some somatic techniques to calm my nervous system down, grab an ice cube, rub it, rub it on my vagus nerve, whatever. Then once I'm calm physically, I get the thoughts out on paper and I try to find clarity or I talk to someone. And then <laughs> what I have to remind myself of is the present versus the past. So I take myself mentally to a place of logic when I can, and I go, he's sick. (laughs) Amy. Now, this sounds so stupid to somebody who hasn't been through trauma, but to people who have been through trauma and abuse, this is like, oh, okay, I get what you're saying, Amy, because we are reliving the past in these moments that we get activated. And so I'm like, he is sick. What? What would you want done? How would you want to be treated if you weren't feeling well? What would that look like? And what I concluded in that moment was that like, 
I probably would have pushed through and that's why I also wasn't understanding as much. Like I, when I am not feeling well, don't worry, I'm going to get to that part of the story. I just push through because I don't want to put anyone out. And, and when it's not going to impact anyone much other than maybe the one person I live with or just myself, right? If it's not going to impact a group of people at large, then then I am able to really clean my needs. But when it's going to ripple out and impact too many people, it's like my brain kind of can't compute that. And so I just push through the way I've always had to and I persevere. So I struggled there for a second, but I had to bring myself back to like, oh, okay, 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 okay. So you, but you would want him to be understanding no matter what it was you wanted to do, right? Yes. And you wouldn't want him to force his thoughts and feelings and agenda on you, right? Yes. Okay. So this is what he needs. And then I talk myself down and through it. It's not impacting your actual weekend and holiday. It's not impacting this. It's not, is it? work to do that? Yes. But realistically speaking, it took me at most 15 minutes to move myself through it while I was doing other things, while I was wrapping presents, while I was cooking myself food, while I was packing my suitcase. And it was like, okay, let me just sort through everything else that I feel like was unfair to me, right? or was an injustice to me. Because I think that's where a lot of survivors struggle is we feel like, okay, like I wouldn't do this to you, but this is being done to me and that's not fair to me. And then, you know, you have people who've never experienced trauma before going, life isn't fair. Correct, life isn't fair. But in these little moments that feel like big, big injustices to ourselves. What you want to do is kind of walk yourself through step by step what is really bothering you. And for me, it was just like, you fucked up all of my plans that I put in a lot of time and effort into because mm, you got a sniffly nose. Like I go to a very petty place very quick, again, because how I would function in that moment is the way I survived really bad moments in my past. I would just push through. There wasn't space for me to claim needs. So I can lack compassion there. And you see how that came full circle? Isn't that fun? I think that's fun to realize, oh, my lack of compassion that was leading the way in this moment, my lack of flexibility, my need to control, my anger, my pettiness was all coming from the fact that a long time ago, there was no space. I was not with a partner or people in my life who allowed me to claim a need, or I didn't believe from a long time before that I could claim a need, so I didn't claim a need. I just pushed through. So why can't you push through too? And I get angry. There's always this like full circle of it. And it's really never about the other person. Truthfully, it's not about, it wasn't about him and not him not feeling well. So that was fascinating, right? So that's how that, like the, the whole weekend kind of started is me having to like navigate what, So maybe somebody, again, with an untraumatized nervous system wouldn't think is that big of a deal. Oh, okay, we'll just shift. For me, is the biggest deal because of things I've been through. Cut to 
the weekend then went fine. We took off on Saturday. We had our, our day. We had some time with my parents. We went back to his parents. And I started to feel under the weather. And he started to feel better, but I started to feel under the weather. And I pushed through. That's what I did. I didn't say anything. And I noticed, I witnessed it in myself. I was just like, you know, the minute he didn't feel well, he shared that with me and took space to like take care of himself. I didn't do that because, and I had a million excuses because I'm at his parents' house, because it's the holiday, because this is your family's time. So I'm just going to push through. And like slowly but surely as the night went on, like I was getting like a, a headache increasingly growing behind my eyes. My head felt very congested. I felt exhausted. I could have went to sleep hours before everybody else, but I like tried to stay up. It was, I was really, I was enjoying myself, but I was also witnessing this in myself simultaneously, right? And then Sunday comes, right? Christmas Day. And we wake up and once more, like the, and I really truly live this way, by the way. I have to, otherwise I'm always going to feel like moments are unfair. If I don't make a connection to this is actually helping me grow, I'm always going to feel like things are not fair and people are not treating me fair. And so for me, I have to maintain that mindset, right? So Friday I looked at like an opportunity for me to like recognize something in myself that I've never seen before. Cut to Sunday, we wake up Christmas morning and... I had coordinated, I need to give you a brief backstory before I proceed with this, okay? I have learned I have to coordinate basically a week or two in advance with my brother and sister-in-law about holidays because I know what's going to happen is this dynamic, right? My mom is trying to accommodate everyone. She's a people pleaser. So I'm very clear, but I'm also only navigating myself and my partner. I'm not a child and, and a child's schedule of napping and blah, 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 right? I know that. I'm well aware of that. So I'm pretty easy. Like, all I got to do is check in with him and say, "What? when's your family doing this? Okay, here's when we're free. We can do this. But we're also two roads away and very flexible in terms of we could just flip-flop. His family is usually very flexible and easygoing in terms of like, it's okay. Like, you know, if you all can't show up for dinner, just show up later so we can do gifts kind of thing. Okay. So I, I'm like one straight shot. All I need is one conversation and I could say, what time do you want us there? Okay. 5 PM. Great. That works for us. Done. But with my brother, sister-in-law and my nephew, it doesn't necessarily work that way. They've got nap schedules and all of that stuff. And so what they try to do is coordinate around his nap. And so the debate is always, do they come before the nap? And the nap usually starts around 11, 30, 12 and could last two hours. Or do they come after the nap, which would be around two or three o'clock into the evening? Now, if they have to head home, which is an hour and a half away afterwards, because Christmas was a Sunday, then being there later is not necessarily ideal. So this was the debate and the conversation I had to navigate for like two weeks leading up to Christmas, because if I go straight to my mom, my mom is going to go to, well, let me talk to your brother. 
And I'm like, okay. And then I wait around and nobody communicates with me and I feel left out. So what I've learned to do is skip my mom, (laughs) go straight to my brother and sister-in-law first, say, what's your plan? Work off of their plan because I know my mom's going to work off of their plan. Work off of their plan and adjust my plans with my other family, Phil's family, around that, right? And coordinate that way. So that was the effort and the energy. And I'm sure a lot of you who have siblings or relatives with kids can relate to that. I had to coordinate off of that, right? That that was like back and forth for a week to two weeks leading up to Christmas. But it was set in stone. They were coming after nap time on Christmas Day. So I thought, great, okay. We spent the morning on Saturday with my parents. We spent the evening with his parents. Sunday, we'll spend the morning with his parents. We'll spend the evening with my parents. It's split evenly. That feels good for Amy. That will feel good for all. Because <laughs> Phil just rolls with whatever I've got. He's that easy guy. We wake up Sunday morning. And I get hit with the same as Friday, like my my boyfriend suddenly being sick. We get hit with my sister-in-law sending a text saying, hey, we're actually thinking about coming at like 11 this morning. I don't really love the idea of coming after nap time. Now, let me tell you something. I nearly threw that phone and smashed it because I thought to myself, I gave you two weeks to make this decision and you were adamant about coming later, right? Normal frustration, These are normal frustrations for anyone. But for me, I just detailed out what happens when somebody suddenly gets sick for me, right? It's not a normal, quote unquote, normal thought process. It's an injustice to me. It's unfair. It's a my needs are not getting met. And I've got to navigate this whole fucking obstacle course of trauma in my head. Now, that's not for anyone else to navigate but Amy. But you could see how if that's what comes up for me in that moment, what do you think came up for me on Sunday morning when I wake up to that text? I had enough. I was under the weather at this point. I am. There's a lot of output. Let's define output. Let's just pause real quick and define output. For those who are new here, I've talked about this many times. I live this way. This is how I function. Input and output, it's energy, it's emotion, it's attention, it's investment of those things. So in other words, for me right now, like when I am socializing with other people, that is output. But with there, but there are certain people that I can be around where it's input. It depends on the context and the environment. Case in point, when I go see B, for those who are new, B is my massage therapist. I meet with her weekly. We do body work and we work through my trauma stuff. When I see B, that's input. That is under that is 90 minutes of time focused just on Amy, talking about Amy. That's all input. Now, what also is input is when I go and I take a bath. It's also input when I do yoga every morning. It's also input when I whip out my journal and I spend some time in my emotions. Those are input, right? It's input to exercise. It's input to do all those things. You have to kind of distinguish what is input and output for you. There's no right or wrong, right? For me, output feels like socializing for me. I love socializing. I love being around people, but it's a lot of energy for me. And it's just like sessions, like when I meet with clients, that's output, but I make sure the minute the session is over, I input. Clearly, I love meeting with my clients. So output is not a negative, 
in other words. And input is not necessarily a positive, but in terms of energy flow, it is you're filling the cup and, and you're drinking the cup, right? Or you're emptying the cup. And so you don't ever want the cup to be completely empty. Otherwise, as the saying goes, how can you give to others if you're unempty? You can't. So when I feel my cup starting to like get lower and lower and lower and lower and lower, which was happening Saturday, and then I wake up sun and mind you, I'm again, like I said about Friday, you, the first place you look at when you start to feel depleted is your basic needs. And it was like, I needed more sleep. <laughs> I felt just like my immune system was down. I felt under the weather. I was probably getting something from Phil because he had been under the weather. And, and I'm waking up in an environment where it's immediate output. It's immediate interaction, talking, socializing, connecting, playing games, laughing, like all great fun things but requiring a lot of me and not there wasn't enough space to give back to me enough to feel like I was overflowing. So I was just persevering and pushing through on like with subpar energy, which was fine. It was fine. It happened. Not ideal. And I'll make adjustments moving forward because that's what I do. Again, I take all of these as learning experiences. So, so cut to... I got to get through this story here for you. I wake up Sunday morning and it's like, ugh, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? I don't even have the energy right now to navigate what I just navigated on Friday emotionally for myself. Like I don't have it in me. And that's what happens for a lot of you when you get triggered is like you are just so depleted. You don't want to handle it yourself. And so you get even more angry at the person who triggered you and you're like, fix it fix it or like get out of my life like I don't want to deal with you we go to these extremes in those moments but you gotta understand yourself gotta be connected enough to where you're like okay wait 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 this this is on me too this is on me too okay I can take control and accountability here this is on me but I was like in my fields and and that's where I've learned to say because Phil is is somebody who looks for solutions very quickly as do I but but I also have learned to say to him, like, can I just have my emotions for a moment? And he'll be like, yeah, sure, go ahead. But before I started figuring out that I needed to say that, I would just unload. And he was trying to calm me down and give me solutions. And I was like, I want to be upset. Let me just be upset for a moment. Like, let, I just want to be angry. Can I be angry? Is there space for me to be angry? And he'd be like, yeah, but I don't know what you're wanting. You're just saying things. So now I've learned to preface everything I say with what I need. I just want to vent. Can I just vent for a moment? And he'll be like, yeah, go ahead. Go for it. I just want a hug. Can I have a hug? Yeah. Can I have a cuddle? Yes. Like, that's what I do. I'm very direct about what I need. And it leaves no room for confusion. And it gives him a success rate of 99.9% .9 because I tell him exactly what the need is. And he obviously always wants to meet it. So he's like, yeah, absolutely. Boom, need met, right? So I was just down and out in terms of like had nothing left in me to navigate my emotions, just wanted to pop off, like didn't have it in me to be kind, didn't have it in me to be flexible, felt like I had been already, hit my threshold, hit a wall, and immediately felt, and this is God's honest truth, felt like, oh my God. 
why is everybody always need something from? Why am I always doing for everybody and nobody's considering me? Now, I want you to hear that thought process because I think a lot of us have that from time to time. And I want you to realize that, yes, in some situations, is that true in terms of how someone is treating you? Yes. There was a little bit of that here in terms of people I was interacting with and how I was feeling. But the other piece of this was I hadn't met some of my basic needs. I was low. I was My immune system was down. I was exhausted. I was forcing myself to just push through. So when I say out loud or to myself, why is no one considering me? I'm saying that to me. I'm saying that to me about how I'm treating me, okay? And so what I was saying to myself was, why are you not considering you right now, Amy? You're immediately defaulting to a mindset of people-pleasing, of I don't want to let anyone down. I want to accommodate everyone. And on top of that, that trickles into, I'm trying to show up here. I'm trying to be friendly. I'm trying to enjoy my weekend, but I don't feel good and I'm not considering that. I'm not letting anyone know except Phil very privately. And I didn't really mention it to him until we were in bed and he looked at me and he went, well, you're putting on a good show. And I go, I know. And he goes, well, you don't have to. He's like, everyone would understand if you want to go to bed like a couple hours earlier. No, I don't. Like I, And I didn't have the energy or the, the space or the wherewithal because I didn't feel good to like even crack that open and try to change that thought process in that moment. I will now that I'm home and I've taken time to decompress. That's the other piece of the puzzle that I want you guys to hear is that I don't let these moments pass without reminding myself that that's something now I need to work through. If I default still to a mindset of people pleasing, when I am under the weather and I immediately then go to a place of this is not fair, why is no one treating me fair? That's my own fault and I need to look at that and I need to kind of like reframe and and really change that rooted belief in me. So yes, so I had a very, very adverse reaction to getting that text of like, can you adjust from showing up at like 2, 3 o'clock to 11 o'clock? I was like, you're not considering me. You're not considering my boyfriend. You're not considering a whole nother family that we are with right now. This is all about you. The world revolves around you. That was exactly, I'm not holding back here, where my mind went. I got angry. And so I vented about it and then I reeled it back in and I went, okay, is this really the end of the world? No. Am I just feeling really like not myself right now? 150%. Okay. So before I ever respond to something like that, I get through all of my emotions. And again, I reel it back in and I get very clear about what I want. And my boyfriend now helps me with that because Phil will say to me, Eam, just because they asked doesn't mean you have to say yes. And that's something that like, I mean, I've been a people pleaser since I was very young. I don't always notice sometimes I'm still defaulting to that thought process. So it's very helpful to have a partner who knows you and is willing to point out a blind spot and you're, you're in a space where you're willing to receive it because you trust them. And so I trust him and he's like, just because they, you don't have to say yet. Yeah. You could say, sure, go at 11. We'll show up at three. 
And I was like, you know, that, that, that doesn't feel comfortable to me. And he goes, okay, well, we don't have to do that either. What do you want to do? And just like I did for him on Friday, he did for me, which I didn't realize until I just said it out loud, which is a beautiful thing to, to recognize and validate about our relationship is that the very thing that I was like supportive of and navigated for him on Friday, he helped me navigate on Sunday. But, you know, what I want to share in, in sh- what I want to emphasize in sharing all of this is that this is, this is life. Like this is real, my real life after a lot of complex trauma. This is my relationship, navigating my relationship with complex trauma. These are real triggers. These are real thought processes. This is how it ripples out. This is my attitude. And these are how I cope and deal and manage and soothe and regulate and just work through those moments. Now, I will say when my nervous system starts to get activated and I'm not in an environment where I can fully be with myself, like I'm not at home, you know, I I could separate myself in his parents' house. It's big enough and I could go in a room privately and no one would probably come up for a while. But I'm still not in my own home and sometimes that creates a problem for me in in doing some somatic tools to regulate my nervous system because I don't feel at ease in somebody else's space. So it helps that he's there to co-regulate. And what we often do that really helps me, and, and maybe this will help those of you with partners out there, or even friends, because this works too. You can hug. Often we hug and we both kind of start to match our breathing to each other. So he'll just go in and and we'll hold each other real close and he'll take a very deep intentional breath and release it and I then feel at ease. And so then I breathe, I start to inhale as he's inhaling again and we start to match our breath together or he'll lay me down and we'll cuddle and he'll kind of like spoon behind me and he'll hold, he'll squeeze me real tight to the point where his hands or my hands are pressing on the center of my chest. And there's a, I don't have all of the, the, the terminology here, but there is a part of your body there that when you press on it, it, ca- it calms you down. Okay. And so um, we will often do those two things to co-regulate. And that really significantly helps me. So Once we, you know, I got on the other side of that and I was able to like finally identify what I wanted and what I needed and respond and and do what I felt was right, which basically was like we showed up um, like an hour after they said they were going to show up. So that felt right for me because I didn't have to rush breakfast with his parents and, you know, I wanted to make sure I was going to get time with them and and my nephew and and whatever um but when we went like I just was not myself like I was there I was physically present I was really trying to enjoy myself and I did enjoy myself we had a wonderful Christmas at both houses but I just was so drained and depleted and under the weather which I can tell you wholeheartedly started Friday mentally and emotionally navigating what triggered me and not inputting enough come Saturday on top of just like 
basic like the weather was severe here it was very very cold he was under the weather so I think I was coming down with something well I can say I was coming down with something because now as of today I am sick um as you can hear and so then add in okay all weekend you're going to be around a ton of people constantly up later than I normally like to be uh, we slept in a little bit, but it was just, it was nonstop output, right? So now that I'm home, it's like, okay, I need to, yesterday I just collapsed on the couch the minute we got home. I couldn't even, I by the time we pulled up to our house, <laughs> I was so out, like I had the worst headache. I felt extremely nauseous. And again, part just being sick and under the weather and it was just increasingly getting worse. But the other part was just, and and this, again, this is my mindset and how I function, all the output, not enough input. Even food-wise, like there wasn't always a ton of options for me and my food allergies, which again was another lesson learned and takeaway for myself of like, everybody else got to snack on a million pieces of pie in the evening and I, I landed on my dinner which was like half of what everyone else ate and my ice cream because everybody always makes sure there's dairy-free ice cream for me but it's difficult for everyone to find gluten and dairy-free pie or cake and I should get in the habit of managing that for myself and baking it or you know asking is someone going to bring something whatever but I didn't and again I don't take it as me like fucking up or them forgetting me I take it as okay There's some feedback that I can make an adjustment moving forward. The same with me feeling depleted all weekend and just like under the weather. It's like I can learn from this and I can utilize the feedback that I'm getting to be better the next time I have a whole weekend of socializing or back-to-back socializing. My body is speaking to me. My mind is speaking to me and it's asking for me to give it more input and or find a way to input in those moments when I am there around people so I feel more balanced, so I feel more myself, so I can be more present. So the last and final thing that I want to share wrapping up this episode I mentioned in the beginning is like what happens when you've created enough space in working through the pain and whatnot, um, all the trauma and the abuse and everything that you've been through and you've created enough space where now you can go back to environments and like they're completely different for you. You feel completely differently. Don't worry, my example is going to make so much more sense when I give it to you. But it brings up a whole nother layer. And so, so what I want to close with is this, right? You guys, some of you have been with me for years, right? And you've, sh- you've listened to me share about my parents and my relationship, and I've worked really hard at it. I'm now in a place where I'm not angry at all anymore, and I'm not sad and I'm not hurt by anything pertaining to my upbringing or my childhood or anything that occurred. And now I'm just in a place where I want peaceful, loving interactions with my parents. And um, it's not that they don't have those with me. It's more like I want to be in a place where I'm not having any conversations with anyone in my life, saying anything negative about them. I just want to be good 
and feel good and have loving interactions and I want them to feel loved. And I think if you go back (laughs) a few seasons or even just early this season, I don't know, you could listen to scattered episodes throughout this entire the entirety of the Connect the Dots Bitch podcast and be like, wow, she has come incredibly far. I'm so proud of how far I've come here that now, and here's what's so, and I'm going to get choked up in such a good way sharing this. Here's what's so interesting. Like I think a big piece of the puzzle has been Phil's presence and his support and the way his dynamics and his family are that got me to a place where I saw what was possible with parents and children. And I felt like I want that. I want that in my own house with my own parents and family. And I am now in the place where <laughs> I I want my mom and dad to know how much I love them and appreciate them. And something that, you know, has always kind of weighed on me is the career that I've chosen and the the way that I share about it on social media. You know, for the longest time, I've always said to my, my mom, because my dad doesn't have social media, I've always said to my mom, you know, I'm just sharing my experiences. Like, I don't hate you. I'm sharing my experiences just like you've had these with your own mom, right? But I know that they it did hurt her or it did at least rub at her own thoughts and insecurities about herself as a parent. And for the longest time, I didn't have any space inside of me. Not It wasn't to not care. It was just to consider that it was really important to me to have a space to move through and to share and to teach. And I had to do that authentically. And I have done that. And now, you know, there's been times where I interact with my mom and and she, if she's having a low moment, she'll say, well, I know you think I was a horrible mother. I have never once said my mother was a horrible mother. Have I told the truth about how certain experiences left me feeling or thinking as a little girl? Yeah. Do a lot of people have that level of honesty with themselves and then with their parents or with the public? No. No, they don't. A lot of people can't sit down and feel the way they felt back then and say out loud, this left me feeling neglected. I know and acknowledge you weren't trying to neglect me, but this is how it translated in my little head. And that's then what I believed about myself, right? That's not an easy conversation to have with anyone, but I have had it because that's, I've always wanted honest relationships with everyone in my life. And for me, honesty looks like, like being forthcoming and truthful about your feelings, not to hurt people, you know, and whenever I share my emotions, there's always, 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 always an acknowledgement of how it may be impacting someone else. And I don't always share everything, obviously. So anyway, she has made comments here and there. And I am now 100% in a place where I don't want her to feel that way. I don't want her to think that I have enough space where I've held my emotions. I've reparented myself. I have felt for little Amy. And now I feel for her as my mother and how that must have felt hearing those things. 
And it doesn't mean I'm sacrificing or abandoning my truth, because I think a lot of people feel that way when they're in a situation like this. Again, I have enough space. And what having enough space means is like, I have validated all my emotions. I've told my story. I told my story. I'm not identifying with that story anymore. I'm not reliving that trauma anymore. Do I still have triggers? Yes, I do. Absolutely. But I've established a lot of boundaries in my relationship with my parents to protect and preserve myself in ways in which I know they're not able or willing to adjust or understand or change. And and that's okay. It works. So anyway, so one of one of the things that that I had experienced this weekend, this Christmas, was an immense, immense, immense amount of love from my mom and dad to the degree that I pulled my mom aside. I told Phil a couple of days ago that I wanted to have this conversation with her and I pulled her aside privately and I swear to God, she probably thought I was going to tell her I was pregnant <laughs> or engaged, but I wasn't. <laughs> But I pulled her aside privately on Christmas and I said, can I just talk to you for a second? And she like looked very startled and confused. And I go, no, no, you don't need to fear. It's okay. And no, I'm not pregnant or engaged. Uh, I just want to tell you that I know that you have felt at times like what I'm saying and what I'm sharing means that you're a bad mom. And that is not at all true. I know that you did the very best that you could with the way you were raised and the way you were parented. And mind you, I might have had those conversations in the past with her. I know I have, but it was coming from a different place this time. It wasn't coming from a place of needing to convince her of it. It was coming from a really genuine, centered and grounded place of feeling so much peace with myself in this situation that I just really needed her to know that there was no anger in her direction. There was no animosity. There was no resentment anymore. Like, I've moved through it all. And I said, and she just, I, she, I, I didn't even have a chance. I'm not going to, it was a private moment. So I'm not going to share with you everything. But that was the beginning of it. And I didn't even get halfway through what I was saying. And she just grabbed and held me very tightly. And she goes, that is the best Christmas gift you could have ever given me. And then I added one more, uh, something that I did for, you know, Phil and I have been together for about a year and a half now. And something that I did was I, I didn't hand out his phone number to my parents. And the reason being is like, I was still moving through my own stuff there, but I also have listened to, you know, frustrations coming from other siblings, partners, about interactions and and I just didn't want to call I was having enough struggle with my direct interactions with my parents at times just feeling frustrated or caught off guard or like I'm getting hit at an inconvenient time and I felt obligation I had to get in a better place with myself before I could kind of sort do I want to give this person access to this person right And my mom had made comments again over time saying like, well, I don't have Phil's phone number, so let him know I'm thinking about him. And and I was fine with that. And I was good with it. And everybody that knew understood why I didn't hand out his phone number. But again, I'm in a very different place now. And I had said to him leading up to the weekend, I said, 
listen, this is how I feel and this is what I'm wanting. And I know you've always kind of been neutral on this in terms of it's whatever I want to do. And I, I would like my mom to have your phone number now. I, you know, I'm comfortable with her interacting with you because now I'm comfortable with my interactions with her. And he goes, okay, absolutely. Go for it. So when we were leaving on Christmas, um, it was just Phil and myself and my parents. I said to, I said to my mom, um, you know, and your other, you know, I was telling them we got, we got you this, it's coming in the mail, you know, it's showing up late, blah, blah, blah. And I've got one more gift for you. And that's, I put Phil's phone number in your phone and she just grabbed me tightly again. She goes, Oh, thank you so much. And then I turned to my dad and you know, my mom is usually the one interacting with all of us. She's got the, the, the smartphone. My dad's still got a old school flip. Uh, and I looked at him and I said, don't worry, sir. Like, you can have his phone number too. Do you want his phone number too? And he just like, my dad is so, so suave sometimes, just picked up his flip phone and like handed it to me. And I just started laughing so hard. I was like, okay, you got it. You both got his phone number now. It was the sweetest. It was the most, <laughs> I don't want to cry. I'm going to wrap this up. It was the most precious moment that could happen that I, that I'm proud I'm so proud of myself for all the work that I put in to get myself just to that place, like to have that experience. When we got in the car, um, ironically, when we got in the car, the fucking car wouldn't start. (laughs) When we finally got it started and we were pulling away, I looked at Phil and I said, I am so proud of myself. And he goes, my God, me too. He goes, you are a completely different person than even when I met you, and that was only a year and a half ago, he goes, but even just like six months ago or four months ago, like, it's like night and day. He goes, you have come so far just in those interactions alone. I'm so proud of you too. And I was like, I blew my own mind. So that, that was crazy. But what was also fascinating, and I'll close with this point, just so I make sure I follow up on everything I said here, when I was hanging out with Phil's family, because I've obviously had to navigate a lot of my personal feelings and trauma and whatnot within my family. I don't have that with his family, right? It's just his family. And so what I noticed is that I've got so much new stuff coming up now being around his family, feeling like, do these people really like me? Like, they're all being nice to me, and I'm not used to that in a family unit, you know? I've I've only got my own dynamics that I've obviously worked through, but, but that is all I've known. Without doing that amount of work and being exposed to a new family unit, just having people naturally be nice to you and, and like you brings up suspicion for me. Like, are they lying? You, y'all really like me? And then a level, like a deep, 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 deep feeling of unworthiness came up. Like this new layer of unworthiness of, do I even deserve this? Like, what's the catch? So we'll see that, save, save that for uh, another episode in the future. But that's uh, all new stuff coming up, but some closure on some old stuff, which I I can't think of a better way to close out the year 
than to have had that experience with myself. So we're going to end there. This will be the final episode of 2022. I'll see you in the new year. Have a wonderful, happy new year. And we'll talk soon.